0: No, no. Sorry about that. Um, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, you can give me just a hair bit more volume. Um, Matthew 11 is where I'm going to be looking out of, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And here's here's part of the reason that I I went with this message today. I've been looking at the lectionary text, which is in Luke 12 in which Jesus talks about, you know, selling our possessions and giving to the poor. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and I've been spending time with that. But, but then I just really felt prompted to come back to take a look at something, and I had looked at a series of messages that I did in 2019. I spent the day in the lectionary text, and then on, and on Friday I was looking at this series of messages curiously, I shared a series of messages in November of 2019 on the topic of rest. And I told Denise, I said, this is fascinating. shared a series of messages on rest at the end of 2019. You guys remember what happened in 20, right? We've all been living that blur since then. Uh, and it was a topic on rest. And so I, I want to come back to this is... This is the notes that I have for this message. I'll be parting from a little bit, but I, I just want to come back and kind of give a touch point on this message about rest. Um, and, and part of what motivated me in this was I, this particular week was a week where I, I, at one, one day I turned to Denise, I said, you know, she said, "How'd you rest?" I said, I, I, "You know, I slept enough, but I feel tired to the bone." And I can't really explain it. And so something about this, and, and I know it's because there have been a number of issues that, I mean, big, big transitional issues that we, as, as a husband and wife and mom and a dad and, you know, uh, all of the different hats that we carry, but a lot of significant issues that have surrounded us. And we felt like it's been a, a season that we've called Transition, I don't particularly like that word because I think sometimes it cheapens things a little bit, but it does give us a handhold for the fact that there's changes happening around us. For a guy who doesn't like change, I need to be reminded that's actually okay, but it's the realm where God operates. So how do we, how do we move in that place in that season without it running us over? And especially when it begins sometimes, like we Denise and I woke up the other morning, and because of what we had been dealing with, okay? And I just want everybody to know it wasn't between her and I, and it's, you know, it's, we're, okay, we're all good here, but what, but what was hanging on us, literally, we slept well and woke up completely exhausted. You guys know what I'm talking about? and Where, where your emotions are still moving. There's still movement happening in you, and you're like, oh. And so the title that, I, that I've given this message, because it, this, this, this topic sort of rolled around in my brain several years ago, I was like, oh, my word. See, nobody struggles with this idea. I was coming out of a 6 a.m. prayer meeting and, uh, you know, walking out. And I turned to to a gal who regularly attends that meeting. And I said, hey, you know, what's what's on your doctor for this week? She works for the state. She's an engineer. She said, I'm off to the airport. I said, really? She said, yep, heading to Arizona. I said, oh, for a work trip. She said, oh, no, not this time. It's a vitamin D trip. said, ah, the best, you know, especially when, you know, you're going through time, it's gray sky, and you're like, yes, Uh, I believe that's a godly thing, to have time in the sun. Now, um, and isn't that how we often respond when we hear somebody saying, hey, I'm getting ready to have a time away or something of that? You know, we all benefit from times of way, from our routines and that sort of thing, Um, so and again, don't misunderstand what I'm about to share here because I, I really believe that's very, very important. But here's what's curious is there are times when there are things going on in our lives when a nap is just a means of avoiding life. you hear me? And, and so I began to think about this in the life of Jesus, okay? You think, okay, Jesus, Son of God, the perfect representation of the Father, pressed in, hemmed in on every side, always having pressure, people around him, all kinds of things happening. When did he take a holiday? When did he schedule some PTO? What was his his benefit package? How much time did he get off? What day of the week was his day off? I mean, you know, we don't have anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus went to the north of Israel and hung out on the beach. That's what I would do. Pretty sure that's where the beaches are in Israel. I'm hoping to find out. Is that where they are? Yes. I have a friend who's been there. He says, yes. Okay. Um, When did he pour a cup of coffee? When did he read a book? When did he just check out? So let's think about this what Jesus has to say about rest. We may come back to this again next week because it's a pretty good topic. But Matthew 11, um, Jesus has John and and John's friends come and, and are asking him, are you the one? This is John, your cousin, is asking, are you the one? John's even having question marks. And so we hear Jesus responding to John's doubt and his grief. And then in the midst of Matthew 11, you even hear Jesus' grief about that generation. Oh, my goodness, how I longed and wished that you would capture what's actually going on. You're being consumed by what's happening around you. And then he makes this invitation at the end of Matthew 11, as Matthew records it, Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, I trust you. I ask, Lord, for your help and to hear your invitation today above all. Amen and amen. Jesus in this proclamation is proclaiming he's the source of rest. And today, that's what we're proclaiming. He's more than a rest like a vacation or a time of way. He's actually Sabbath rest. And I, I want to look at that a little bit, but actually I'm not going to, because of, because of the fact that I want to be mindful of you know a little warmer room, I'll just say, take a look at notes later on if you want to look at this a little bit more in detail. Um, When did Jesus take some time off and when did he rest? Okay, so we've got this reality that he's walking in his humanity and every one of us in our humanity needs a rest. Okay, I've had girls that have been highly involved in athletics. Get done with a 5K, I can guarantee you, that every person that crosses that finish line, now what I was kind of proud of is that Jency would normally be in the top 10 or so, crossing that finish line, but she didn't want to talk. She just wanted to catch her breath, okay? Uh, our daughter, you know, Danelia, when she went back, especially when she went back in the starting lineup, playing soccer after a head injury, she's like, I don't have the stamina I used to. i got to step out. i got to catch my breath. I mean, it's just a reality. We all need a break. So when we see these words of Jesus in Matthew 11, my point is this. That we can often get the idea that that's what Jesus is talking about. Ah, I, I just need a breather to catch my breath. Now, hear me. We all need those moments, and that's important. But benchmark this. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. Okay? For a first century Jew, when they heard the word rest, there's automatically one picture that would come to their mind. And it was connected to one word, Sabbath. Um, and, and by this point, when Jesus is walking on planet Earth, Sabbath had become a thing all by itself, right? Um, there's there's this, all the commandments that are given of God, but this one commandment, Uh, Given to his people had now become almost like a duty and it filled with all kinds of obligations. And so and it it remains an integral part of Jewish culture even to this day. But curiously, Jesus, the God man, walking on planet earth, is accused of breaking the very command that he gave to man. Right? Why are you healing? On the Sabbath, your working. He heals a paralytic. He, his, you know, his friends go and they get a little bit of grain and, and, and they're eating on the Sabbath and they're, quote, working. So by now the Sabbath has become sort of this duty and requirement to appease a demanding God. And Jesus, by the way, is right up front saying, I, I need to invite you into something to see what it's actually about. See, for some of us, we grew up with for me, I can in a small way relate to what that, that culture of Sabbathism. I grew up rehearsing the Ten Commandments every week in church in my Reformed background. Um, I never really understood why it was so important not to shop or eat out. You see, for us, the Sabbath was, quote, Sunday. And then later in life, I find out, wait, that's not even the Sabbath. What? And, and, and so, you know, we... We weren't able to go shopping. We weren't able to eat out, but the Baptists could. That was a joke. Nobody caught it. All right. They did it without guilt, Dad. How come we can't? Uh, So, you know, there's just all of these things. So, wait a minute. So, if we begin to look at this, Jesus begins to say, wait, the Sabbath is, is, you've got this thing turned upside down. It's actually about God. It's not about you keeping a law. And, and so to really comprehend this, the one thing I want to point to is this. And then, like I said, the rest of this, I'll, I'll, I'll just say go back and take a look at some notes. But um, when, it, when is the first time that the Sabbath is talked about? Well, let me think. Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, Exodus 20. But wait a second. That's not the first time it shows up. Sabbath actually first shows up way at the beginning of the book in Genesis 2. God rested, the word used for rested is Sabbath, from his labor. And and what's fascinating about this, this word that's for rest, that's that's Sabbath, it's the verb of the Sabbath. God engages and actively embraces Sabbath before sin, duty and obligation, and, and before the law. So, so what, what, what was this all about? Well, we get a little bit of a picture of that if you study through the book of Hebrews. One of the things that the Hebrew writer says is that God entered into his rest, and he's still there. So that rest he began in Genesis 2, he's still hanging out there. Now, God is at work in our lives. He's present and he's at work. So we, we have to begin to answer this question. We go, okay, Jesus, when did you take your holiday? When did, you, when did you rest? Well, theologically, Genesis 2, God entered his rest and he remains there. The book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, says that the, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world is Jesus." So, Jesus entered into the Sabbath rest of God and ceased from his labors. Genesis 2. That means that what Jesus proclaims at the cross when he says finished, done, is in agreement with the work of God. Now, that's, you know, in our linear thinking, sometimes that's really hard for us to get our head around because we're like, wait, how do you know, let me get this. But the reality of God is that in all of his work and his labor, he says he's entered into his rest. Everything needed to secure our salvation and to give us life, he's engaged in, done, finished. So when did Jesus take a holiday? Well, like as if he needed a holiday to accomplish something. No, actually, Jesus lived from the place of God's rest. We have to scratch our brains and ponder that for a moment. Go, whoa, wow, wow, wow. So he, he's not laboring as if something that God did isn't enough. So he's resting in the labor of the Godhead to be enough to display grace and mercy for eternity that he's living out his life in agreement with that reality. So Jesus actually, his heart and all that his being is anchored in this reality. God, what we have agreed, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done is enough. So Jesus, how did you display that? Well, did he display it by, by, by trying, straining enough and signing enough petitions and doing enough religious stuff. No, actually, the way that Jesus lives it out is anchored in the love of the Father. So his rest and his labor is anchored in the love of the Father. So what I want to point to is this. First of all, Jesus' vacation is a place that he never parts from, which is that his life is anchored in the love of the Father. Knowing that the display of the love of God in his life is enough. That's what he says on the cross. Finished, enough, done for all of eternity. But wait a minute, Jesus. There's a whole bunch of, of rulers and principalities that are still scurrying around the earth. There's all kinds of isms that are coming in one direction or enough and the other. And Jesus says, enough. We're anchored in this reality. What we have done is enough to secure and reveal the love of the Father for eternity, for mankind to rest in. So the rhythm that we see Jesus living in is in this place of being connected and anchored in the love of the Father. So he lives this rhythm that is not dictated by the demands of others, but by the love of the Father. His vacation is the fact that his heart is anchored in the love of the Father. He lives in a rhythm of the love of God. When did Jesus take a vacation? Well, there were times that he actually said, no, we're not going to that village. Wait a minute, Jesus, they're coming looking for you. The Gentiles are ready to, this thing is really catching momentum. It's not about your momentum and your ideas of earthly momentum. This is all about me remaining anchored in the love of the Father and simply revealing that in simplicity. It means that I, I one day might be going to to someone's house for lunch and walking past crowds of people that are trying to get my attention. Because I understand and know that the love of the Father revealed will be enough because that will grow and reveal the truth of eternity in real time. Beloved, this is a hard thing for us in our flesh because we live from a framework of exceptionalism and productivity. It offends that part of us. But wait a second. I'm not telling you something that's new, am I? Paul says this. This gospel is offensive to our religious sort of mind, to our efforts, it looks like weakness. But it's the wisdom of God revealed. Jesus, I want to live. I want to be anchored in this place of rest. It begins with my heart being anchored in this. The love of the Father revealed in Christ is enough even now? Yes. Curiously, even when John is having his doubts, his cousin, his buddy, who said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even able to tie the the little strands on his sandal. That guy is having doubts. And, And Jesus isn't rebuking him, by the way. Take note of that. Please take note of that. John, what is wrong with you? Doesn't even come out of him. Just says, take notice. Take notice of what's happened in people's lives. But also, this here's my invitation. Are you feeling fatigued to the bone? Come to me. Are you tired? Are you tired of. Flailing around, are you tired of shaming yourself? Blaming yourself for not being enough? The religious words for us sound like this should. Are you tired? Come to me. Walk with me. You know what's interesting in that invitation? Are you tired? Jesus begins by this invitation almost like, I, I don't think it would be wrong for us to even add this into that text. That I don't say into the text, but hearing these words are you tired of trying to get this done by yourself come to me in the message translation it comes out this way walk with me learn from me take my yoke now that yoke is this image of a um, wooden wooden bar that would connect two animals together to do work in the field. And this wooden bar is placed over the neck of these pair of animals so that they would pull together. It unites them. It forces them to move together. Jesus says, take my yoke. Now, These two animals cannot go in two different directions. Impossible. Cannot happen if they're yoked together. Take my yoke. Walk with me. And Jesus isn't saying that as a scold. He's saying, actually, it's kind and it's good for you. It's not effortless. It requires a choice on my part. To accept the rhythm that as I, oh, I'm reminded there's so many things pressing around me, but oh God, I want to be anchored again in this reality. Your love for me, oh yes, it's enough. Walk with me. Accept my invitation. Why? Because Jesus is upset about where you are? No, he says, are you tired and worn out? Burned out on religion? Come with me because it's kind. And it's good. Now watch this. It's not because, again, that the yoke uh, is, is effortless. There is effort involved. It's an effort of surrender. The difficulty with a yoke is resistance. Surely I've got to do something here. Come to me. Walk with me. See how I do it. Learn from me. It's not going to be about your religious wisdom. So who do we take our cues from? Think about this for a moment. I referred to this a little while ago. One of the strong marks of Western culture, and I'll say Western evangelicalism, is that we often lead and live from strength. We give it spiritual language like, you know, Going to higher places with God and accomplishing, you know, this or that. Interesting. Jesus, the Son of God, I'm going to repeat that. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, never implies that he led out of this sense of look at me flexing my muscle. What he said was this: I'm gentle, I'm meek, I'm lowly of heart. I'm yoked with the Father. Now, guys, internalize this. I'm not making this up. I'm just giving you the words. He doesn't say, come yoke with me, work out, and show me how strong you are, and I'll pick it up when when you get weak. Because that's kind of how we've sort of communicated it sometimes in our Western thinking. He'll pick you up when you get tired. we even have poems, and I appreciate some of these poems that are great, but I don't know that they're really good theology. Yes, Jesus will carry us, but his invitation is to walk yoked with him. And this is how he said he was yoked with the Father. In meekness and humility. Now, meekness doesn't mean weakness, but, but a strength and a gentleness under the control of the Holy Spirit. Humility means a lowly position, means that the person who doesn't have to tell everybody who they are. The Son of God says, this is the one who spoke worlds into being. Remember this. In the beginning is God. And God said, Colossians 2, He spoke worlds into being. So the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, but it was Jesus who proclaimed, let there be light. This same one said, learn from me, I'm meek and lowly of heart. The world system, we're all about accomplishment, achievement, exceptionalism. Even in church circles, Jesus says, Learn from me. This is your true DNA. Here's your true DNA. It looks like me meekness. Blessed are the meek. Jesus, okay, we'll say that as a nicism. While you really like to talk about exceptionalism, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. There is a wisdom from God revealed that when I'm choosing meekness and humility, lowliness of heart, Jesus, learning from your character and your ways, it's the opposite of having to be in charge and in control. I'm gentle and I'm humble. Come to me. Learn from me. And you'll find rest. There'll be reality waiting for your rest. And that word used, for rest for your soul, means that there's literally a breath that he'll breathe into our life, into our spirit. So to those who are worn out, exhausted and weighed down is who Jesus is talking to. And again, I, I, I just want to make sure I don't, Underemphasize this point. That whole discussion began with his cousin, the blazing prophet, wondering if he got it wrong. He doesn't condemn the one who's coming in meekness and humility, weary and worn out, doesn't say what's wrong with you. He invited them to a new place, to himself. Come to me. His, his promise is not directed to the strong, but actually to the weak and the helpless. Not to the childlike, but to the infant-like. Right prior to that, in, in, that text in Matthew 11, he says, you know, this is where the kingdom is going to be revealed. So come to me and you will find rest. The kind of rest that an infant finds in the arms of their parent. I want to close this morning by reading from Andrew Murray from his book Abide in Him. Dear souls, how little they know that the abiding in Christ is, is just meant for the weak and so beautifully suited to their feebleness. It is not the doing of some great thing and does not demand that we first live a holy and devoted life. No. It is simply weakness entrusting itself to a mighty one to be kept. The unfaithful. Casting oneself on the one who is altogether trustworthy and true. Abiding in Him is not a work that we have to do as the condition for enjoying His salvation, but a consenting, hear this, a consenting to let Him do all for us and in us and through us. It is a work He does for us, the fruit and the power of His redeeming love. Our part is to yield, to trust, and to wait for what He has engaged to perform. Beloved, what we're proclaiming today is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Tired to the bone? Come to me. Just a glimpse of the revelation of His love for you. You'll find rest for your soul. Jesus, we come this morning, many of us, in that place. A season followed by another season of weariness. Lord, we don't come with a list of accomplishments We don't come this morning out of some sense of our excellence, but by your invitation. Weak, tired, worn out, burned out. Come to me. Lord, that we would hear that incredible proclamation done, enough. My love is enough. Forgiven, made whole, sustained. Lord, we're living in an incredibly chaotic moment in human history. And your invitation, come to me. Maker of heaven. Maker of all of this incredible beauty around us. Awaken in us. Remind us, O God, of these incredible mercies that as we surrender to that mercy again, blessed are the poor. Lord, we don't come out of our wealth. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord, we're weighed with the brokenness and the frailty of our own flesh and what we see happening in the world around us. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Lord, could it be that our greatest holiday is to gaze upon you So, Lord, as we come to this, your table, we hear your invitation. Come to me. You'll find rest. Your body given for us. Your blood shed for us. Oh, Lord, enough for our forgiveness, but enough for our life. For rest, for our soul, for a breath of life to our spirit to be yoked with you to hear the whisper that thunders from eternity your love for our our heart and our soul